there. Okay, so that's announcements. Um, with that, we're going to start a new series. And so while I'm explaining a new series, if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and hold your hand up high. Don't be shy. Hold your hand up high. I didn't mean to rhyme. Um, but hold it up. Hold it up high there. Someone will get you a Bible. If you don't own one, keep this one, please. Um, put your name in it. Underline it. Mark mark it up. Um, we want everybody to have a Bible. And if you do have one but you just forgot it today, go ahead and um, leave it in the back. So while they're handing those out, let me introduce kind of where we've been, where we're headed. Okay, this is our third sermon series. And um, we started out looking at the story of God. That all things were created through, um, by, and for Jesus. And um, we, we, we just looked at that all things point to Jesus and it is his story. And then um, we just wrapped up a sermon series in the Old Testament book of Ruth. Where we looked at God's providence in all things, in all of life. That God is sovereign and engaged and involved in our lives. In every way, in our work, in our romance, in our redemption, in our salvation, in being renewed, in our faith and relationship to Jesus. God is provident over all things. And then now we're starting our last kind of of these short series, which is the four G's. Um, Or you could call it, as someone else once suggested, um, ain't nothing but a G thing, baby. Um, uh, I didn't plan on singing. I'll never again sing from the stage. I promise. Um... But the, the four G's, um, the four G's are, uh, are God, um, are, are, are characteristics that explain who God is. And it, and it is this, that God is great, so we don't have to be in control. Uh, God is glorious, so we don't have to fear others. God is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere. And then the uh, last one is God is gracious, so we don't have to prove ourselves. Um, so these are the four G's, and um, this, they come actually, well, they come from the Bible, which I'll explain in a minute, but um, an author, Tim Chester, who's an uh, Englishman, other side of the pond, um, wrote this book, it's an incredible book, You Can Change, and um, we can order them in bulk, um, so we can get a, a discount from them. If you've never read this book, I want to um, encourage you to get it, okay, um, I'm just kind of flying from the cuff here, but come and let me know, and we'll get a list going, and we'll order a bulk, um, a bulk order of these books. So um, the title, though, is a bit deceiving, as we'll learn throughout this series. It says, You Can Change, um, but the message is actually, as hopefully you know if you've been here before, that you can't change. Um, on your own. Apart from the intervention of God, apart from the good news of Jesus, we can't change on our own. Um, and this walks us through how hope and transformation comes through the, uh, the intervening work of God in our lives. And so, um, and so with that, this book is really good, and we're gonna, I'm going to read from a couple quotes from it. Um, again, the guy's English, Tim Chester, so I struggle to read it without having an English accent in my head. Um, so we'll see if you have that same, that same effect. But um, So we're going through the four Gs. Let me just say real quick, because again, I said this is our last sermon series that we're kind of going through on our own, because all the other redemption congregations have been going through the book of Romans. It's, like, it's been like a two-year journey, and we weren't about to just dive in at the very end of the series. And this gave us a really good chance to start out 
with who we are, founded and grounded on the gospel. Uh, again, the story of God and his providence and all things. And so at the end of this month, we'll wrap up this series. Then we'll join all the other redemption congregations in an Advent series, which, um, which is the buildup toward um, Christmas and, and, and the anticipation of the coming of Jesus um, that was there in, in Christmas and then now as his people, the anticipation of his return. Where he makes all things new. And then um, we'll do just a couple weeks of um, some different sermons. And then in January we'll start out in a, a new series that we'll be in for like a year and a half. Going through the gospel according to Mark. And again we'll be going through that with all the other redemption congregations. Okay? Good? Um, okay, so there's just a little little um, kind of house cleaning little news. So let me start this series by um, um, where these things come from. I said it comes from the Bible. Psalm 145, um, verses 1 through 9, is the author, David, declaring the character of God and who we are, shaped by the character of God. And so we see these four Gs, that God is good and glorious and, and gracious. And, and, and we, we see them all laid out here in Psalm 145. So I'm just going to go ahead and read this so we kind of build in the foundation of, of um, who God is and, and, and how we respond to him. So read with me Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great. Okay, there it is. You can circle it if you're looking there in your Bible. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty. There's the second G. God is glorious. And on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. God is good. Circle that. And shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. And so we're going to be going through this series in light of those words and those truths of God and his character. And we need to do this. Because as we see time in and time out, that our propensity is to um, confess one thing with our mouths, but then to live something differently in our lives, practically. It, we, we tend to, um, to turn away from God in our actions. And we say things, we come here, and then our lives don't reflect that. But one man, A.W. Tozer, in his book, um, uh, Knowledge of the holy, right? That's right. One of my quoting. Yeah, I was going to bring it, but someone actually borrowed it. Um, I've read it multiple times. I never remember titles of books, but I always remember what they say. Well, in A.W. Tozer's book, Knowledge of the Holy, he says some really good things. And one thing he says at the beginning, he says, what comes into our mind when we think of God is the most important thing about us, right? Let me say that again. What comes into your mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you. Okay, now some of us might say, wait, the most important thing? Like, what about, I, I thought I'm uh, my job. We've just spent some time talking about job or my relationships. I'm a, I'm a father, I'm a parent, I'm, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I'm an employee, I'm an employer. Like, a, we live life in very real ways. How does um, 
but but am I right that that all of those things, whether you like it or not, um, all of those things are related to what comes into your mind when you think about God, who God is. Um, absolutely is defined in your life. How you treat other people. Someone here may even say, I don't believe in God. Well, um, I, I submit to you that how you relate with other human beings is informed by what you think of God or if there's not a God in your mind. That's, that's, that's directly related in every way. How we interact with others, how we view ourselves always comes back to our thoughts about God. And so what we're going to do as we look through this is we're going to look at um, the reality of what we say and how that relates to how we live. Because hear me, we're all control freaks. All right. Like look to your neighbor and say you're a control freak. Right. Like you're you're all we're all control freaks. We all want to control our lives, whether you admit it or not. Like we're all some control freaks in here. And you might be thinking like like me, I'm the youngest of my family. Okay, the youngest of four. Um, If you're a youngest, if you're like the last in your family, you know, um, we're rarely control freaks or at least we don't readily admit it. If you're a firstborn, you know it. Right. Everyone tells you you want to control everything. You want to tell everyone else what to do. You think you're the boss. You're not the boss. You're not the parents, right? But we, but we all are. We all um, want to grab life by the horns and, and make it our own. It, this comes back to our, um, our our belief about God. We wonder, God, is who you are really enough to inform my life right now? Very practically, when you're sitting, um, say you're a single mom and you're sitting in your car and you go to turn it on and you have to drop your kids off at school or at daycare and, at daycare and the car won't start and it's like, uh, what's going on? What do I do here? I don't know what to do. Um, does who God is and your belief about God inform that moment? I've experienced that scenario before and, and I know it can be like life is real. And so what we need to do here is we need to um, see how God is bringing us through a place where he's narrowing the gap between our confessional faith and our functional faith. Okay, that's, that's the definition some have given to a big theological word of sanctification. And what that basically means is, is, is growing in the reality of Jesus and his rule, where, where the gap between what we say we believe about God and how that really practically plays out in our lives. That gap is narrowed. And our lives begin to be um, defined by what we believe about God. And so what we're going to do right now as we get into this um, series, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 40. And this is a, a whole chapter that just lists out the greatness of God. Okay, because as I said, we're all control, we're all control freaks. And it comes back to... What do I believe about God? But the good news of the gospel, the good news of the person and work and authority of Jesus in our practical lives is this. God is great, so you don't need to be in control. Okay, and we're going to see that as we walk through Isaiah chapter 40. So, um, and if you have one of the Bibles that we handed out, I think it's in page, it's on page one, uh, 387. Um, but it'll be up here on the screen as well. So go ahead and meet me over in Isaiah chapter 40. I'm going to pray, um, and we're going to get into it. Yeah, Lord, again, thank you so much for who you are. Lord, I know there are people here, many of us, who 
um, have encountered you, who even just now were singing songs, amazing grace. Lord, we are singing songs about your closeness, about your nearness. But the reality in our lives is it doesn't feel that way. Scenarios come up. Our car won't start. Our lights get turned off. Our friends leave us. Loved ones are taken from us, perhaps too soon. And um, we question our job, our security, all these things. And our response is to think we need to be in control. But Lord, we trust that because of your character, we don't. And so I pray that you will illuminate these truths through your word, even now. Um, and as we spend some time, I pray that you will open our hearts and our ears and our eyes to see In the passage even that we just read, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord, let that sink in deeply so that we can indeed um, trust in you in all of life. We um, pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, let's just dive in right here. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. let, Let me just stop right there real quick. Comfort your people. Um, the context in this verse, in this whole passage, is a people who have been kidnapped. Okay, they've been taken from where they, where they live. Um, they they, uh, they are, are God's people, and they have wandered away from God, and God is present and is controlling um, uh, the, the, the course of history and is engaged and present, but His people um, have turned their backs on God. And then the uh, natural result of that is God says, um, okay, I'm going to draw you back to myself, but it's going to be in a way that you won't um, fully understand. So they get kidnapped, right? The, the kingdom of God is, um, uh, his, the kingdom of his people is Israel, and then the kingdom is divided into two, and there's brokenness. And then outside foreign nations come and, and de- defeat them, and then they take them away. And so these people are in exile, and they've been overrun, they've been enslaved, and they're in this place um, just wondering if there's any hope. Again, just think of um, our scenarios, okay? Most of us aren't, um, we don't relate personally with, with that, like we're not in the exile. But, but, but there, as I said, there's scenarios where we feel like there's no hope. And, and what, what this, this, this whole incredible passage begins with, who God is, God's greatness brings comfort, Okay, let's start out by being comforted as you prepare to hear of the character of God. Okay, be comforted. As I said, um, scenarios that play out in our lives. In that moment, we tend to distance our belief about God. What we think, what we've sung to be true in here, we hold our hands up and we declare things. God, this is true of you. And then on Monday morning, the car doesn't start. The water doesn't turn on. The boss calls you into his office. I don't feel very comfortable in that moment. What do we do? Practically, the character of God and our belief in him begins to grow closer in our confessional, functional, practical faith. Be comforted in response to who God is. And for a lot of us, though, our belief about God um, tends to be in kind of a dichotomy. Okay, there's this pendulum that, that swings from one extreme to another. And as we look at this, the greatness of God, we tend to either think God is great, God is big, God created all things, but is he for me? 
Like practically, if a, a great and powerful God, if he's not for you, that's a terrifying thing. Like that's a really scary thing to think about a God who's big, but he's not near. That's frustrating. But on the flip side, if you have this God that's really warm and fuzzy and you think, yeah, God loves me. God's got my back. God, you know, holds me in, rocks me in his arms. But is he really in control? Like things feel pretty out of control right now. God, I know you're for me, but are you sitting there like chewing on your nails, hoping it works out? How do these two meet? Is God great or is he good? Is he transcendent or is he near? Well, this passage walks us through the reality that the greatness of God shows us that he is indeed great. He is indeed transcendent and he is near. And so in him we can be comforted. So jump down with me to verse 7. And um, just a heads up, we're going to walk through this passage. We're not going to hit on every single verse, but we're going to hit on the major themes again to see how the transcendence and the bigness of God and the nearness and the closeness of God are one and the same and and, and define our lives. So in verse 7, it says this, the grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So um, this should bring up some, some ideology, um, in some, some ideas in the New Testament. When Jesus is preaching probably his most famous sermon, it's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. He uses the same terminology to talk about the, the bigness and the closeness of God. Jesus, when talking about birds and flowers, he says, um, he says that God provides for the birds who don't even have the faculty, the intellect to store up for themselves. They don't have um, banking accounts. They don't have, you know, 403Bs and 401Ks, and, um, but God provides for them. Are you not more important than the birds of the air? And then he says, um, you worry about your life, you worry about your clothes, you worry about what you're going to wear, you worry about all these things that make sense and are very real. But he says, um, look at the flowers of the fields. Aren't they beautiful? But they grow today and then they're thrown into the fire tomorrow. Are you not more important than them? God provides. God adorns his children. He takes care of those who are his. And then the other theme in that, right, there's this presence, God, um, when it talks about the flowers and God, like you see God is near, right? He's not just far off. But then it also says God's word endures forever. It will stand forever. What what defines your life? Okay, the, the word, like what's speaking into your life? Is there something someone told you or someone called you at some point in your life that that tends to define how you think of who you are? Is there something yelling in? Are there unpaid bills? Are there there memories that are speaking? Are there past experiences? All these things that are speaking into your life, do those things have the final word? No. The, The final word belongs to God. His word endures forever. His word stands forever. His word will not be taken away. 
There is comfort in um, remembering who God is. And, and this is meant to be um, defining in our lives. Okay, in, 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 in verses 9 and, and then down on into 11, it says, Get up, like be a herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Um, what's being said here, right? Like these people, it says, be strong, be courageous. And they're like, we're in slavery right now. Like stronger people, stronger realities are defining our lives. What do you mean? Get up, be strong, be courageous. Well, what this is saying is the character and the power of God defines your life and it has purpose. How, the, how what you think about God and what you functionally live out about God says something about God. Okay, there's power in that. God created, right? We've learned in all these series, God created his people to reflect him, to bear his image, to, to, to redirect worship and praise and adoration to God. And his people, even in these difficult circumstances. Let me ask you, are you in difficult circumstances? Have you experienced rough circumstances? Not necessarily huge things, whatever it could be. Right? Really practically, these things play out in our lives. We're having a bad day. We didn't have enough time to go and change our outfit for the twelfth time. Because, you know, we, we don't feel good today. And so we, we have to wander out anyway. Whatever it, we have, just our whole life is often defined by um, struggle. And just, you know, wondering, man, I say this is true about God. I say what God says about me is true, but is it really? Let me hear you. There is um, purpose in every moment of your life. This says for these people to be a herald of good news. The struggle as you walk through it, the fight to remember the gospel, to apply the good news of God's character into your daily practical life is saying something that is true about God. It's saying, I don't feel this way. I feel absolutely out of control right now. My car won't start. My kids are screaming. I've got to be to work. How is this good? In that moment, it doesn't mean that that's not a hard situation, but it means that you can look to a, a God who's in control. That moment isn't all defining. And that's saying something true. That is declaring to the world, declaring to your kids in the back seat. Declaring to the tow truck driver, the taxi driver who's going to come and get you to work. It's declaring something and you're saying, this is hard in this moment. But it's not ultimate. The ultimate word belongs to my God who is sovereign. And he's good and he's present. And then read with me um, in verse 11. It says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Okay, we talked about this extreme, right? God is great. God is powerful. His word endures forever. And then um, we read something else and it's like, wait, I, I thought we we're over here talking about a big God. Now we're talking about God's bosom, God's, God's closeness. He's tending me like a little sheep. Like this is kind of cutesy, kind of, you know, I don't know. 
Just like not strong language, right? Now we're over here. God is good. God is close. And this language is that, yeah, God is big. And then like the next passage takes us to, and he's good. A big, powerful God that's not for you is a scary thing. But similarly, a God who's good and close but not powerful is a frustrating thing. This language of of a sheep and a shepherd, again, is, is absolutely tied to Jesus. In the New Testament, John chapter 10, if you're taking notes or you're taking mental notes, if you're struggling to wonder, to wonder is God for me? Read John chapter 10. Does God care about me? Is my life out of control? What's going to happen with my life? In John chapter 10, it directs us to um, an understanding of Jesus who's a good shepherd. He's loving. He's tender. He says, my sheep know my voice. If any of them wander away, I will pursue them. He says, none of my sheep can be taken from me. When it feels like our lives and our circumstances are absolutely out of control, be reminded that God is for you. God is your shepherd. Sheep sometimes wander. Sheep get scared. Sheep are um, often susceptible and vulnerable to outside forces. If not protected by a shepherd, sheep could be devoured. But Jesus is the good shepherd. And here, in this place where we're learning about the greatness of God, we hear that He is a good shepherd. But, but again, lest we get into this place where we're like, okay, so God's, God's got me, He's comf- we're comforted, we're, He's, you know, like snuggling us, God, Santa Claus, God, right? He's good, He's there, He's close to us, He's my homeboy, He's got my back. Um, we can go over here to this, this frustrating place where we wonder, okay, God is good, God is near, but is he great? Is he trans- transcendent? Is he biting his nails? Is he cheering for me? But can he do anything about my circumstances? Pick up with me in verse 12. I'm just going to kind of freestyle, rattle off here. Um, the, the, just listen and be encouraged by who we're talking about right now. Talking about God, verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Hold up your hand and look in like the little palm there. That's the hollows of his hand. Who has measured the waters? That's talking about the seas. Who's measured that in the hollow of his hand? And marked off the heavens with the span. Hold up your hand from your pinky to your thumb. um, The size of your hand is the span of your hand. Who has measured uh, the heavens? The universe with the span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult when um, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? This is going from from science, from biology, to philosophy, to ethics, to, um, to all things. This is kind of an ultimate call-out, okay? Picture, if you're at all aware of the hip-hop scene, like picture, you know, like someone up there just holding the mic, just rattling off, like an ultimate call-out. Who has measured the waters in the palms of his hands? Who has measured the heavens in the span of his hands? Who has, who has decided what is true, what is just? Okay, this is like, and then he just drops the mic. 
is like, what? <laughs> this is God. Okay, um, to help us, let me read again from this book. I'm not going to do an English accent. If I do, call me out on it. Um, it's unintentional. But um, in, in this chapter where we learn about the greatness of God, it says this. I think it'll be up here on the screen as well. Talking about the greatness of God, making sense of this passage. Traveling at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second. Who would encircle the, um, you would encircle the earth seven times in one second. Right? It's already taken me like five seconds to just read that. It takes me like ten seconds sometimes to say my name. In that time, you would have gone around the earth like 70 times. Okay, that's okay. So just so we understand here, um, a second is a really short time, and the distance around the Earth is a really um, big distance. You would um, you would pass the Moon in two seconds at this speed. Okay, that's really fast. It would take you 4.3 years to reach our nearest star, and 100. Let me just count the commas there. 100 billion galaxies. In the universe, there are at least that many. 100 billion galaxies in the universe. There are thought to be at least 100 billion galaxies. It would take 2 million light years to reach the next closest galaxy and 20 million light years to reach the next cluster of galaxies. And at that point, you've only still just begun to explore the universe. Okay, I stumbled through that. I should have just read the whole paragraph. My mind hurts. I'm a philosophy major. I don't understand these things, but uh, it's, it's pretty big. The universe is enormous. The speed of light, no human will ever reach going the speed of light. You could reverse time if you could go, right? We get how huge this is. But God measures that in his hands. Okay, this is a a physical metaphor to describe our transcendent God. He is enormous. Who did God consult when he did that? When he decided what was true and what was wrong, who did God consult? Right, no one. There's nothing to compare with the greatness of God. And we see that. We see um, time in and time out um, as we read here just how significant and how great God is. In verse 18, it says, To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? And then it goes on, an idol, a craftsman, cast it, all these things. Um, as we've talked about before, idols in their day were things they could make with their hands that helped them make sense of God. And what an idol is, is taking something and giving it ultimate worth and value. In our lives, what we do with idols is we take good things and we replace God with them. We take our work. We take our relationships. We take our families. We take whatever it might be and we make that ultimate. And, and directly related here, it says, are you going to replace the God who said, let there be light and there was light with something else, with, with your work, with your job, with your own control. I, I mean, that seems foolish, right? Like, like how could we, how could we, um, how could we do that? But, but let's be real. Do we do that? Are you a control freak? 
Right? To be a control freak, for some of us, it means you're mean, it means you yell, it means you say, if things don't go my way, you're going to pay. But for some of us, it shows up in our anxiety. Some of us have gotten so comfortable replacing God with ourselves that we think the knot in our stomach is just supposed to be there. That's just the way it's supposed to be. I'm just, I'm supposed to be full of anxiety. I'm supposed to be worried. I'm supposed to think, um, if this doesn't go my way, then life is over. Really practically, we replace God constantly. But do we see the foolishness there? That we serve a God who is both great and who is near. Um... Have you ever seen the um, the the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or read the book? There's um, it's an incredible children's story by an author, C.S. Lewis, and you've probably seen it. Disney has kind of hijacked it, but they didn't come up with it. Let's be clear. Case okay, C.S. Lewis, English um, theologian and author, wrote and incredibly. In case you didn't know, he's he's talking about um, the character in there, um, Aslan, it is a is a character meant to portray God. Meant to portray um, this God that we're talking about right now. So I'm just going to read a little exchange between um, a talking beaver. Okay, stay with me. Um, One of the characters is a beaver. And then these children who come and and are unaware of this world. And unaware of this God figure. And they're asking about him. And they're starting to learn. And so let me just read. The beaver says this. says, when Aslan comes, wrong will be right. When Aslan comes in sight, at the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, it will be spring again. And so he explains this God figure who is, who is close and near and good. But, but you see the power and so one of the one of the children, Lucy, asks, says, "Is he safe? This it's a lion with teeth and a like a lion. Is he safe?" And Mr. Beaver says, "Safe? Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king." This is the God that we're talking about. The God that we so quickly and readily and even unknowingly replace in our lives is great and good. And so pick up as we kind of look at the last section in verse 27, continuing to to have our thoughts rightly oriented about God. It says, why do you say... um, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right hand is disregarded by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Okay, again, this is a call out, but but a more loving one. In that moment, What in your life are you afraid of? What in your life is is replacing God? Is taking control? It says, haven't you heard? Be reminded that God is great. And be reminded that God is good. 
The greatness of God defines your life. What are you afraid of? There are a lot of things. Okay, my wife and I, um, I've shared this kind of here and there before. We've struggled for years with infertility. I have journals full of of prayers, and we shared numerous tears. Afraid, God, would we ever be parents? Would we, I mean, would things work out? Um, and we've had friends who walked through that process and then entered into the adoption process. And that can be so hard to walk through. And some of us, I know it's very real. Is, are we going to have children? Or what do I do when um, this has been taken from me? There are very real fears that we walk with. Again, you get called into the boss's office. Your husband or wife from, for years has started getting in touch with an old friend on Facebook. You, academic probation has just come to an end and your grades didn't turn around. What are you going to do? Your scholarship gets pulled. Your car won't start. Again, seemingly mundane things. Just life, you're having a bad day. Well, what do we do in that moment? Um, let, me be, let me be real with that. Just, um, I want to share, like, even now, even right now, as a pastor of this church, there are things that I could be defined by fear. That I am tempted to say, um, I don't know if we should go this route. I know this is the way God's calling us, but I don't know. Hey, some of you who have been around since the very beginning know that we have said Time in and time again. We um, don't want to just be a ministry to the city. We don't want to be a church in the middle of downtown. But we want to be a church of downtown. I can be real, right? Look around. Like a lot of us are kind of younger. Yeah, I have gray here, but I probably qualify as younger. Younger, predominantly white, kind of rock music playing, you know, hipster church. And, And I'm convicted that God has called us to reflect all of downtown. And the reality is there are a lot of people who look and live ways that are different from us. And God, um, I know, is calling us to do some things as we grow and we consider we're in week nine. God, how are you calling us to be as a church that reflects your heart for downtown Tucson? Where socioeconomically and ethnically and um, educationally and all the, where the reality of this area The diversity of this area is reflected in our worship together. Perhaps it means changing how we sing sometimes. Perhaps it means, um, you know, things that I don't know that will be hard and fears for me creep in. But what if what if the people who are here don't like that? What if in our heart to reflect um, God in all of downtown, we actually start to to shrink? What if um, people like uh, the way things are and we don't? Like, all these fears can be defined in every facet of our lives, even in our church. But are we going to be defined? Are we going to replace God? Or are we going to declare, God is great, so I don't have to be in control? Let's look at the last couple verses. In verse 30, even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall be exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Has everyone here seen Remember the Titans? Yeah? Okay, I'm hearing about it. I love that movie, by the way. and I didn't actually plan on this. But I just, it constantly, I'm going to go home and watch this scene. Because one of the football players, and this is exactly what I just talked about. These two 
two teams from different worlds are brought together and they're playing. And one of them, his name is um, Rev. They call him Rev. And he just goes off and he, and he I can't, I'm not going to try to emulate it. But he, he basically quotes this and he gets pumped and it's great. And I hope and someone should shout out amen when he says, Even you shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strengths. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Even youths, in this context, I'm like 35 in a couple weeks. I'll be 35. And um, I am achy. I went for a run this morning and I am tired and I hurt. When I turned 30, that started happening. And I know it'll start happening more and more. And um, in this, you know, Ian, I just think, oh, these young people, they take it for granted. They just roll out of bed. They don't get it. Like they're all, they don't hurt like this. And this is like, even youth, even those people will become tired. Um, whatever else we think, right? Even movie stars, even the president, the most powerful people still have to sleep. They will become tired. Um, everyone, kind of newsflash, has to go to the bathroom, right? Um, if you've ever, uh, there's an a, a, a Old Testament story where one of God's prophets, Elijah, is fighting against um, these other prophets of a false god, Baal. And, and, and they're kind of doing this whole showdown. And it's just hilarious because he says, oh, maybe your god is going to the bathroom. <laughs> maybe he's indisposed right now. Let's call back later. Maybe he can't answer because he's, um, you know, going to the bathroom or taking a nap. But very practically, God doesn't have to go to the bathroom. There's never a time where your prayers to God, he'll say, ah, sorry, I can't address you right now. I'm addressing this person. Where he says, sorry, come back later. I'm taking a nap. Sorry, come back later. I'm going to the bathroom. Every human on this earth, no matter how powerful has limits. And guess what? You have limits. I have limits. God's given us sleep. It's a good thing, right? Some of the college students are like, amen, sleep is good. Um, right? I sleep until one in the morning or one in the afternoon. And, um, but sleep is good. Sabbath, rest is good. God has given us things, boundaries in our life to consistently remind us God is great and you're not God. You and I are not the center of the universe. God holds the universe. Um, He measures it with his hand. He holds the waters. And it's not all about you and me. But still, God is close. It says, God will renew their strength. Those who are afraid, those who are fearful, those who are wondering, is God enough? Is he big? Is he good? Is he great? Is he present? God will meet our needs by reminding us of who he is. Let me read one last, um, one last quote out of this book here. Um, this guy, Tim Chester, says this, We often associate the sovereignty of God with theological debate. But for all of us, it's a daily practical choice. Right? I remember being a 20-year-old college student, philosophy major, sitting around at a coffee shop or in the library, considering the preeminence of God or in seminary, talking about the sovereignty of God and, you know, is he, is he above and beyond and is he over all things? And we talk about these big things and those are good conversations, 
But too often, it stays there, and we talk about it behind our computer, and we write blogs about it, and even in theology, it becomes impractical, and it's this far-out, distant conversation about God's sovereignty over all things. But it's real and practical. Look at me. As we consider real life, there will be times when you have to ask, God, I'm not feeling you. Do I need to replace you? Do I, are you sure I don't need to be in control? Because it sure seems like you're out of control right now. It sure seems like all these other voices are defining me. It sure seems like what I've done and what has been done to me is defining me right now. It sure seems like my life is out of control. And either you're big and you're transcendent, but you don't care. Or you're close and you're near, but you can't do anything about it. But in that moment, what do we do? You're asking, what do I do right there? What do I do in that moment when click, the car doesn't start? What do I do? Look to Jesus, where we see the greatness of God and his love and his presence met on the cross. Where almighty God, Jesus, who said, let there be light, hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus, who rose from the dead, who says, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Difficulty, you don't define the life of my people. I do. Jesus, who rose from the dead, victoriously, great, transcendent, above death, and who also put himself on the cross for you. These are big ideas. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. But it's not just for the library. It's not just for blogs. It's for everyday life. Where we look to Jesus. We see the goodness of God. And we see God is great. So I don't have to be in control. Our God is great. And we're going to respond to him now. Let's be comforted. Let's be encouraged. I'm going to say before I um, pray... As we respond, I want to, I want to, we need to get this into our culture as a church. There will be people on the sides that want to pray with you, right? If it's some of the things I talked about, infertility, loss of a job, loss of a marriage, loss of a loved one, or um, I'm struggling to believe these things, no matter how seemingly significant or how seemingly small, God is real, God is present. And we get to come before him in prayer. So I want to encourage you, like, we want to be a praying church. These things are real, and so we need together to be reminded to come before God. So I just want to encourage you, I want to challenge you, if there's anything on your heart that you just say, yeah, I need to be reminded of the greatness of God, then um, in our time of response, go and ask for prayer. So now with that, let me pray as we, as we transition into our response. Um, God, you are great. That is true. I think probably most people in here will, um, will believe that and will say that. We will sing songs right now that will say about how great you are. But um, 
God, we, it so often doesn't drop into our hearts. It doesn't translate into our lives. This weekend, I've had moments when I hit my finger with a hammer, when, when uh, my wife got sick, or when I'm struggling, and I know they're on this morning when the streets were shut, and I was going to be late to get here, and all these things. We have moments every day where we consider, God, are you there? God, are you great? I think I need to take control here. But you've given us Jesus, who took control when our lives were out of control who took matters in his own hands when he put himself on the cross to put death to death, to put sin to death, so that through faith in you, we can be restored and renewed in our relationship with you, where we can go from being enemies to children of God. I pray now that as we respond, I pray for everyone in here. Lord, if there's anyone who has not put their faith in you, who's saying, oh, I, I, I don't know that God is great. God, I pray that you would be drawing them. Lord, I pray that your word is penetrating their hearts. We, we know through your scripture, Lord, that, um, that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. I pray that you are doing a work amongst us. Lord, that we would not live by fear, that we would not try to control, Lord, but we would respond to you and live in light of your greatness, most clearly displayed in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.